than you remember me? You know, I've got these things. But the consolation for me is you know what? You look a lot older too than the way I remember you. <laughs> so, okay. Anyway, um, I feel like I, I can get really wordy and, and, um, and, and enjoy talking and everything, so I have to be real careful and guard my time. But one of the things I want to do this morning is just take a little quick trip down memory lane uh, just because I can. Um, <clears throat> it's Father's Day, and I can't think of anything more uh, fun or interesting that I'd rather be doing today than talking to you on Father's Day, so this is really a treat. <clears throat> and, of course, in a lot of ways, uh, I feel like a son coming home for a day. So uh, I'm just going to enjoy it. Uh, it's been a long time. And um, anyway, uh, I'm going to jump in and do a little bit of memory lane stuff and a little bit of testimony, and after that we'll preach, and I'm going to tie it all together, okay? So please tolerate and bear with me during the introduction and the memory lane stuff because it is connected to the sermon. Everybody say okay. Okay, turn to your neighbor and say, loosen up. All right. Thank you, Ed. I miss your cowboy hat and ukulele. I needed that water. I'm actually <clears throat> just getting over pneumonia, but I feel good. 37 years ago, I came to Bethel, and um, Brian, wherever you are, you reminded me of that this morning, so I don't know how you keep that math in your head. It was after the days of Jack Whitesell and Dennis Sawyer, but it was still in the days of Gus Christensen, Frank Klassen, Ido Van Spall, anybody? Uh, Joyce Russell, remember Joyce? Okay, and of course, all the Belials and the Wessels and the Jensens and missionaries, Bernard Johnson and Ed Myrtle Hewson. Anybody? Okay, all right, good. Uh, we used to enjoy the college and career class with uh, Tim and Ruth Raymer and uh, Jean DeShong. I was a board member during the building campaign for this uh, lovely building that you have here when I was in my 20s, and I served under three pastors, Bob Smith, Dave Markin, and Lloyd Jacobson. And uh, I remember Lloyd Jacobson's dad, remember? He used to sit over here, very dear old man uh, that really loved the Lord. Um, <clears throat> Friday night services were hilarious, not hilarious, but just a lot of fun uh, here at Bethel. It was always Friday night services for us young singles who would get our paycheck, and we didn't want to go to the bar and drink. We didn't club, we didn't dance and do things like that, but we always came to church and then went out for pizza, and that lasted for, for years here. It was a lot of fun. Uh, there was the Papa Georges, uh, Rich Jensen, the Cosmetas Girls, Fred Gutierrez, Ed Litwin, Megan Belial, Brett Buchanan, Brian Russell, Linnea Loberg, Ron Davis, Marsha Klugin. Gabby, are you here this morning, Gabby? Hi, Gabby. You were part of our group. And the Teen Challenge Men, remember? And many others. So those were the days, yes? I know a lot of times we look back and we, we wish the old days could come back, and they never can. But anyway... I served as an uh, intern pastor in 84. Uh, I was on staff with uh, Dave, uh, Dave Markin, Xavier Gutierrez, Ron Wilson, Ken Jensen, and Larry Zyman. In the office, we had the lovely ladies of Sue Lujan, Kathy Geiger, uh, Kirsten Lyro, and Elsie Lukens. And, and we also had, uh, back then, we had a, a mimeograph machine that we used to crank to make copies that had that purple ink with that old teacher smell cla from the classroom. Anybody? Am I all alone up here today? How about the uh, IBM Correcting Electric typewriters with the little uh, balls of fonts that you changed, yeah? Okay, and some of you are under 40 or whatever, you don't even know what a typewriter is, okay? But my wife and I have been lifetime touch typists, and it's a good skill to have. Uh, we sent Pastor Ken to plant the church in Benicia, just a few miles from where I currently live. Ken had to be all of but 30 years old uh, when he went to Benicia, I think something like that. And um, we started Caring Christian Singles with Pastor Ron and Talk It Over groups uh, that met across the street. I preached my first sermon right here. I met and married my wife here in 85, 33 years ago. <laughs> Wave, Pauline. Okay, so who says you can't have a lasting marriage and be in a good thing, Amen. We moved away to uh, attend Bible school in Sacramento, and when I came back, I was licensed to preach by Pastor Lloyd. My first wedding right here was my sister, Teresa, who married your sound man, Matt Cry. They're living in Pittsburgh with their three children, and their oldest just um, completed her first year of college. Both of my brothers found Jesus right here in this first pew uh, back in those days. Uh, I came back from Sacramento to serve on staff as minister to single adults after Ron Wilson's passing, but before that... I grew up on Valencia Street, and I was not a churchgoer, and I didn't want to be a churchgoer. I was one of those good sinners, you know. When God came after me with conviction when I was, 
I guess going on 19 years old, I, my first prayer was something like, God, go away, you bother me. You're like a monkey on my back. Would you just leave me alone? And then I used to think, you know, when I'm old and I have nothing better to do, maybe I'll find religion or something, but not now. <laughs> and I told God, not now, leave me alone. Well, I could only fight him so long before I gave in, but... Um, uh, I lived down by uh, Dubose Street. Uh, the local uh, police precinct called it the Devil's Triangle in those days. We had the Levi Strauss factory, uh, Valencia Gardens housing projects when they were really ratty. And uh, some of you will remember that part of Valencia Street was called Arson Row when we had the Gartland Hotel fire at 16th Street. Anybody? Uh, with those 13 corpses out on the sidewalk was really something. My daily drug abuse lasted until the end of high school. I was uh, stoned every day for at least 1,000 days. When I couldn't get high on marijuana anymore, I turned to barbiturates and uh, hallucinogens. I did a lot of LSD. My favorite drug was uh, PCP or crystal, angel dust. Thank God that I made it through those days. I just wasted my youth, and uh, I'm glad to that I lived to tell about it. Okay. Um, I was a compulsive thief and a burglar. Uh, uh, burglar. <laughs> I was failing in high school, but I managed to graduate Mission High, class of 76. I came to Jesus after that towards the end of the Jesus movement. Uh, between the ages of 14 to 24, I, for over that span of 10 years, I saw a dozen fatalities on these streets out here. I saw the uh, construction and the opening of BART, the building of Sutro Tower and the Transamerica Pyramid Building, and the burning of Pier 39. And some of you guys were around, right? So this is memory lane. Okay. Um, eventually, my brother Trent uh, took the apartment across the street. I moved from DeBose up to 24th and Valencia. I lived right across the street above the uh, liquor store. Uh, eventually, my brother Trent took that apartment. He passed away there in 88, and after that, my brother Tad took the apartment. He also passed away there three years ago. But today, 36 years later, his lovely wife, Maureen, uh, still resides in what we affectionately call the Tyree Towers, right? Now, uh, just by way of update, uh, we left our home in Sacramento 22 years ago to go work as assistant pastor in New York with uh, Carl Johnson. Some of you remember, uh, re know the name Carl Johnson, right? Okay. Um, after six years with him full-time, that church commissioned us as their first church planners. And uh, in 2004, Lloyd Jacobson flew out to my ordination ceremony. And on his return home is when his wife, Jana, died. And, um, but um, we're still in touch a little bit with, uh, with Lloyd, and he has a, a new wife, and I assume he's happy. We founded and pastored Bricktown Gospel Fellowship in New York for about 12 years until in 2012 we went to the Amazon Basin in Ecuador, not Brazil, but same continent. And uh, for three and a half years we worked with a local church in a town. Uh, some of you know the movie uh, End of the Spear, yes? So uh, that movie is about the kind of a docudrama about five American missionaries who were speared to death by a tribe uh, in the Amazon in 1956. Well, my wife and I went and took a residence in a town where they lived when they died. And uh, so I brought this little book with me. If you'd like some good reading, it's called Bridge to the Rainforest by Eleanor Boyes. And this is a history of the, the missionary history in the little town of Shell, Ecuador, where we live. Um, we did outreaches to jungle villages, and we launched and pastored the English Christian Fellowship. And later we taught English in a uh, large uh, high school in the jungle area. And by the way, I do read and write spe uh, and speak Spanish as a second language. I'm getting a little rusty, but uh, reading and writing was pretty easy. Um, even my blonde daughter is bilingual. In 2016, we returned to California, and last year I received my master's degree in theology. I have a son, 30, and a daughter, uh, 28, Ben and Nicole, who both are single and live in New York. Uh, our youngest, Joelle, is almost 18 years old and lives at home. Okay? And right now, the big news, uh, as you saw in your bulletin, that uh, we've been commissioned to plant a new church in uh, Stockton. And uh, today, the only thing that could top speaking here is that we're waiting for that phone call to say whether or not our offer went through on a home in Stockton. And uh, then after that, we'll move there within the next 30 days, and uh, we will be urban missionaries again at my age. I'm really enjoying this, that uh, an old guy like me gets to have another chance, another shot to plant a church. Uh, so just really enjoying that. Um, Stockton's about an hour and a half east of here. It's one of the homicide capitals of the country, and they are in much need of uh, good churches there. But anyway, that's that. Thank you for bearing with me on that. I just, uh, uh, it was hard not to think of all of those memories and things. In fact, thinking of uh, memories, um, I remember when Dave Markman was preaching one time, and he gave an altar call that a cat came down the aisle. 
I remember another time, it must have been a Friday night, uh, we were sitting here just enjoying praise and worship, and a mouse was going back and forth <laughs> in front of the platform, and the pastor didn't know why we were so distracted. But anyway, uh, say a prayer with me, and then we'll get to preaching, all right? Dear God, thank you so much for uh, your years of faithfulness. Thank you for my dear friends here today, and uh, just for all that you do in and through us, Lord. Thank you for your presence here. Thank you for your blessing on this church, God. And we just trust that you will speak through me today and uh, soften hearts and open minds to receive a word from you that is encouraging, I pray. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Now, there's been some changes over the years, and this is one of them. Um, <clears throat> for one thing, when you knew me before, I weighed 155 pounds, okay? Um, I kept that weight from the age 18 to age 40. But about every five years since then, I put on an additional 10 pounds, gaining 50 pounds so far, so that I'm at my current weight of 205. Okay, I'm going to be real transparent here for a minute. And that's not all. I had a long, curly afro when you knew me. If you want to see it, <coughs> come up later and look in this uh, brochure that I did for the building program back in the early 80s, and you'll see that I indeed had an afro like this that was down to my shoulders. And uh, here's a... 1997 Bethel photo directory. So what's that, about 21 years old now? So, Brian, you're much younger in there. And Anyway, okay. Don't let me dig any holes for myself this morning. Um, <clears throat> so I'm practically bald now, and I have a scar right here that used to be covered with hair, and it's way up here, right? Um, I have crow's feet. My eyelids have fallen. I've got bags under my eyes. The skin and face on my neck is sagging. Does this sound familiar? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> okay. Uh, moles and age spots popping up everywhere, huh? Oh, and did I mention my waistline? I didn't wear a 30-inch belt until I was 40 years old, and now the six-pack has become a one-pack. Okay. Can't do anything about it. Oh, and then there's the aches and pains and the stiffness. It's my knee, it's my hips, my low back, my heel, my shoulder, and old injuries. And on top of all of that, my energy level is not what it used to be. Just not if you're tracking with me. Okay, two people. <laughs> it's really lonely up here right now. Um, but you know what the greater chance is, uh, the greater challenge is with aging? It's the accumulation of regrets, disappointments, resentments, guilt, emotional pain, anger, loss, failures, etc. Did I leave anything out? Right? It's a long list of issues that we have to deal with as we get older, yeah? And uh, if you're young, just listen in. I'm probably talking to myself today and just uh, letting you hear. But um, the older we get, the bigger our past becomes. And this is an issue, whether you realize it or not, when you have more years behind you than you have left in front of you, okay? Um, the past gets more control while the future offers less to look forward to. This has been my experience as a Christian in this world who is just aging like all of the non-believers, and we go through these things, and some of the stuff you're not prepared for, and some of it you don't see coming, some of it you do, and you just can't do anything about it. But isn't it true that life has a way of taking you places where you never thought you'd go? And some days you wake up and you look back over your shoulder and you say, I never thought I would have wound up here. And it doesn't take long. You could be 20 years old and feel like you have the world by your tail, and then when you turn 30, you already feel like that, that you can't imagine you would have wound up where you are, okay? Now, I was one of those bubbly-on-fire new believers, uh, you know, the type, lots of excitement uh, and enthusiasm. <laughs> we went to a camp one time. I don't know where it was. It was with Bethel, and that Gene Deshong was with us, and... Um, the first morning at camp, I came bouncing into the room and said, good morning, and I greeted everybody, and you heard Gene say, oh, geez, Tim is a morning person, <laughs> you know. But I was one of those uh, energetic new Christians. I had a radical conversion at 18 and a half years old, and when I was, uh, I was transformed into a new man. The man I was the day before I prayed a sinner's prayer was not the same man that I was the day after. I mean, for me personally, it was a 180, and I didn't ever do the things that I used to do again. I abandoned my old life, and I never went back, and I am so thankful to God for that. Over these past 41 years, I've consistently served Jesus, the church, and my community without turning back or dropping out. But 
in the midst of all of that, life happens, yes? And that certainly includes hardships, heartaches, setbacks, mistakes, and all of those things. You know, I told you that I saw 10 fatal- 12 fatalities on the street, which I did. A lot of accidents and some homicides. A lot of graphic, gory stuff. And I only ever speak to a war veteran that can top the things that I've witnessed with my eyes uh, in your neighborhood here. But during those same years, I lost my dad, I lost my younger brother, I lost my only uncle, my only aunt, and my mentor, Ron Wilson. And before my dad passed away, he used to show me stuff in the um, mortuary where he worked as an assistant mortician, stuff that no young person should ever have to see done to corpses. And so, anyway, I just mentioned that, you know, to say that life is no respecter of persons, and you just can't be ready for, for everything. I've had to live with and manage a measure, not a lot, but a measure of post-traumatic stress. As long as I can talk about it once in a while, I'm okay. All right? But um, let's talk about staying fruitful in the mature years. We can't help or stop the aging process physically, but, we, but can we avoid these other symptoms of aging There's an old hymn that we used to sing that says, every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. (laughs) Is it really getting better? Are the words of the song true? Even the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4.16, and by the way, I don't have any PowerPoint today, so uh, we're just going to go low-tech today. Is that all right? Uh, No no PowerPoint, just low-tech. 2 Corinthians 4.16, Paul said, so we do not lose heart. Now, I know he's not listening right now, but I've lost heart at times. He says we don't, but I do sometimes. And and then he goes on to say, though our outer self, our physical man, is wasting away or decaying, our inner self is being renewed day by day. So physically, we're aging. But spiritually, are we staying fresh? I'm asking you, how's that going? Is your body getting older with the symptoms of aging while your inner man is like on an uphill climb as the years go by? And what was Caleb's secret? How can he say in Joshua 14, verse 10, and now behold, I am this day 85 years old. How many 85-year-olds we got here today or close to it? I don't see a lot of hands, but I've, I've met some of you. Okay, um, I am this day 85 years old, Caleb said. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. So now give me this hill country. So what? At 85, was he like a physically like a 40-year-old? Or was he talking about his spirit? As a pastor observing the church over decades, uh, I've always noticed a pattern that some person comes to Christ, be they old or young, doesn't matter, but when they're young in the Lord, there's all that honeymoon, you know, uh, excitement, enthusiasm, and, and they grow very quickly like puppies, like babies. I mean, you take a new believer and they're just, they've got that appetite and they feed themselves and they grow and they take off like a rocket and they just, you know, if you could see the graph, right, uh, for the first few years, they're just soaring in Jesus. And then you know what happens as it gets close to year five or somewhere in there? The rocket starts to kind of slow down a little bit and maybe just taper off just a little bit. And they go a few more years. But if you could graph it, uh, a lot of times, sadly, Satan, this is just my opinion and my observation as a pastor, but a lot of Christians, they grow, then they level off a little bit, and then they just kind of taper off and stagnate. And so my challenge with that is, does it have to be that way? Or is there a renewal that the Apostle Paul is talking about? And is there this uh, (laughs) Caleb attitude, this Caleb spirit that you could be 85 years old and say, give me this mountain. And certainly as a 60-year-old today going to Stockton, a planted church, I need to be walking in that kind of a conquering spirit. God, give me this mountain. I'm not the young man that I used to be. I know a lot of church planters that are 30 years old. I know a lot fewer church planters that are 40 years old. I don't know if I've ever seen a 60-year-old plan a church, but I'm going to do it. Um, okay, when Jesus, hey, let me ask you a question, though. 
I said that stagnation sets in with believers that, you know, over the years, finally the growth just slowed down, and sadly enough, sometimes it stops. How are you going to deal with these issues if you're not already there? Because your older years, when your past grows into a monster and your future offers less, you know, there's, you're just in for some challenge that maybe you didn't see coming or maybe you didn't manage ahead of time. And I'm, my whole thing this morning, I just want to stimulate you to, uh, you know, when you get my age, you know, maybe not have as many regrets or, or at least have uh, some spiritual energy and some, some um, motivation to go on. But let's talk about uh, what Jesus said about our fruitfulness, okay? And when he spoke about our fruitfulness, it wasn't just for the young in faith. Uh, for example, in John 15, uh, we'll read a few verses right there. John 15, verse 5, I am the vine, Jesus said, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Now I'm jumping to verse 8. By this he said, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And then jumping to verse 16, I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So, to put it in other words, as long as we abide in him, we should be fruitful. That's the biblical norm. And as disciples of any age, whether you're young or old, we can bear not just some fruit, but much fruit. Amen? He chose us in part that our fruitfulness would last. And so, for me, personally, ever since I've turned 50 years old, it's about that time, uh, because, you know, when, you, when you're middle-aged and your life is about even, your past is about equal in length to your future. That's why they call it middle-aged. But as you, from there on, as you move past middle-age, now <laughs> you're on the side where your past is always increasing and, and, and your future is diminishing. I've always been concerned uh, since about 50 that I, that I keep growing in Christ. I just have a, a desire to be fruitful into my old year. I don't want to be a statistic where I grew like a rocket when I was a young Christian and I tapered off and then guess what? All the fruit in my life was in my early years. Something is wrong with that, yes? Something is very wrong with that. And I'm just speaking to you out of you know, a soul that's been challenged by the things that life has confronted me with, Okay. I'm not accusing anybody here of, of not going, for all, for all I know, I'm the only one in the room that, you know, has this struggle, and you all are just, you know, fine uh, with your fruit and everything. But uh, let me move on. Um, I know that Bible reading is a key, right? Because Bible reading sows seeds in my heart, and we don't reap if we don't sow. So that part is kind of a no-brainer. Tim, keep reading your Bible, never stop. Be an old man who reads his Bible just like you did when you were a young, young man. Amen? And another thing, uh, and by the way, uh, Gus Christensen used to say, it's not enough to simply read the Bible. You've got to be a Bible digger. That's what Gus Christensen used to say. And I also know that I must allow the Holy Spirit to be active in me because it's his wind that stirs the necessary change I need. So I never want to be a Christian where the wind of the Spirit has stopped blowing in my life. I just need to be in a position, and I need to position myself so that I'm near him, and I can feel his presence, and growth and change can still happen. And in the Bible, when Jesus compares the Holy Spirit to wind, it always makes me think of change. And so if you have this person, the Holy Spirit, who is present in you, and, and he's blowing, uh, you're going to be a person that's always going to be uh, uh, transforming. Okay. Now, I'm going to give you a dozen tips, and this is going to be quick, but I'm going to give you a, a, a dozen other tips uh, that I've picked up along the way, not in any particular order, no PowerPoint, okay, but just listen to about a dozen things that I would like to say to you as some of my old friends and some new friends, coming from a 60-year-old who was on fire when I was almost 19, and life has Give me some surprises. Is that all right? Okay, let's go. Number one, be assured of your salvation. Be decisive. You're saved or you're not. 
Make up your mind, which is it? Are you born again or are you not born again? There's no middle ground. It's one way or the other. If you're saved, you're saved. And what I'm trying to say is uh, I wish more people would embrace that and bank on it and that it would never be a question. So what I'm asking you, if you haven't considered this uh, thing that we call assurance of salvation, uh, please nail that down so that you can move on from there. Your life will never go anywhere very meaningful or fulfill the potential that you could have if you never know for sure that you're going to heaven. You need to decide that. If God says in his word that if you believe in him, he'll give you eternal life, and if his word is true and you trust the promises of God, you shouldn't have to worry about it or rethink it over and over and over. And you don't need to hear me say that when you get up in the morning, your salvation doesn't depend on how you feel that day. Okay? So uh, I just wanted to give you that first to be assured of your salvation, be decisive, bank on it. You are forgiven and you have a reservation in heaven. Embrace it. And I like to say that if Almighty God forgives your sin, who are you? to hold yourself guilty. You don't have that authority. And we know that the devil is an accuser, and he'll come, he doesn't have that authority either. If you've accepted Christ and his sacrifice for you, and God has already made the judgment that your name is in the book of life, you, don't, you shouldn't have to worry about that. Okay? And, and that's just the most exciting thing this side of heaven. Amen? All right, uh, number two, breathe. Everybody say, breathe. Okay, now what I mean is, I'm not talking about the pregnant woman, whatever that is. What I'm talking about is prayer is to your spirit what breath is to your body. Now, how many, I mean, who's going to go to the gym and deadlift or whatever, curl, whatever, bench press, and, and deal with heavy weights and hold your breath? Or do you go in, out for a run and a jog and hold your breath? Everybody knows better than that. That's stupid, right? When you lift heavy things or when you run, you, you breathe, right? Um, and you don't run the race of life and bear its burdens without praying. So prayer is to your spirit what breathing is to your body. If you think it that way, uh, think of it that way, make prayer just as natural as breathing, um, like a lifestyle. And we could do a whole sermon on, on prayer, but uh, just pray as naturally as you breathe, okay? Number three, make right choices. Remember that there are consequences for wrongdoing and for bad choices. Remember that a clear conscience is priceless. A clear conscience is power. Okay? If you make right choices and you live by the book and you just do the things that you know are the right thing to do, you can have a clear conscience, you can sleep good at night, and you can enjoy life more. And when you have a clear conscience, it gives you a lot of confidence to face people. Okay? Number four, be kind to people. What goes around comes around, right? And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Be kind to people. And number five, be a forgiver and don't hold grudges. If you show mercy to others, God will show mercy to you. I realize as I'm giving you these points how basic they are, but I'm giving you these uh, basic points in the context of all of us who are in the aging process and facing the challenges of trying to do what Pastor Ron used to call living fresh in a stale world. Amen? Okay, so uh, learn to forgive people and not to hold on to things. Uh, number six, manage your anger, baby. Uh, the anger of man, here's a scripture for you. I, I, didn't, I don't even have the reference in front of me. The anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. You know, when I was in Bible school in Sacramento, uh, there was a class we had on biblical counseling, and they used to talk about uh, twin emotions or uh, the two emotions of anger and pain. And the, the instructor was explaining that uh, through his counseling experience and through his study, everybody ha um, has uh, pain and anger, but some people are more in touch with their pain while others are more in touch with their anger. And it was interesting because he asked people to raise their hands, usually in, in an audience, and I, I'm trying
trying to get this right here, but I think it's the angry people that sit in the back and the people that feel pain sit in the front because they want to be touched, you know, and, and the people in the back are just like defensive like this, you know. So the people have more. And, and I've had a lot of anger in my life. And, and I'm not a... I'm not an angry person. I don't even have that personality, but I've gone through seasons, if I could tell you, where, uh, you know, I've just wrestled with anger. And, you know, not for nothing, but uh, when my father passed away and my brother passed away, I didn't even um, get to take a vacation, and I didn't get to, like, go through a, a good, healthy grieving process. And I found that after that, there was residual anger that I didn't realize was there. And I was just mad all the time. <laughs> and... Uh, and I saw anger in me that I was not used to seeing. But you know what? I don't agree that all anger is bad. And I, I took the stand in Bible classes, uh, in Bible school, and I was the only student there against 25 other people who, you know, they want to read the scriptures and say, put these all aside, anger, malice, and all these things, and put it all aside, and don't let the, sin go down, uh, the sun go down in your anger. But Paul said, be angry and sin not. And uh, I'm just going to throw this in. It's not really my notes. But God, uh, God to me is like the author of anger because when you read the Bible, I mean, he really displays uh, a good measure of anger. And he's like the original person that, you know, has all this wrath and everything. And his, we know that his wrath is justified. And Jesus, too, on the, uh, when Jesus turned over those tables in the temple, right, I don't think Jesus was this character that, you know, you know, the ones you see in the paintings where one hand is like this and one is like this. And he's got that <coughs> wimpy look on his face. You know, I don't think he just waltzed over there and, and I'm going to flip over your tables. Please don't do that at my father's house. You know, I mean, I think Jesus was pretty angry when he went and did that. And so my point being that all anger cannot be sin. And if, if all anger was sin, then to me it makes God and Jesus guilty. So there has to be a godly anger uh, that isn't wrong. The problem with you and me is, first of all, we get angry at things that Jesus would not get angry at. And second of all, we don't manifest or express our anger correctly or properly. We do it in unhealthy ways. And that's what makes it wrong. I'll give you a marriage tip right here. If you, if you ever get mad at your wife or your husband, probably none of you, but if you do, or if you're not married and you do get married and you ever get mad, hold your tongue. One of the wisest things I can tell you. You're angry, you're mad, but you don't got to blast the other person or you don't have to cause harm or injury. And God doesn't like that when we injure people with our anger. Anyway, deal with your anger. Be angry and sin not. Uh, express it, find a way to express it. What I really want you to take away from this point is some anger that is good anger uh, you can glean energy from it for change. I, I get really mad at myself sometimes because I make stupid mistakes and I keep repeating them, and then I get mad. I'm not mad at you, I'm mad at me. And you know what I do when I'm mad at me? I change because I don't want to be mad at me. So I get energy from that, like motivation. Are you tracking with me? Okay, I, that's for free. I hope that's all right. Uh, number seven, don't lose your first love. <coughs> Real basic, fire needs fuel, right? An appetite needs to be fed. And Jesus talked about the appetite, uh, you hunger and thirst for righteousness. You have to feed an appetite if you want to keep it alive. You have to feed a fire if you want to keep it burning. Now, there is such a thing as burnout, but some of us just fizzle out over time. Um, don't blame others if your fire dims, but take responsibility for keeping your own flame lit. And I want to say that again because sometimes I think that, you know, people in the church wish that the pastor would just be their sheriff or their policeman or their life coach all week long. And there's really, there's not enough people on a church staff for all of you to have a life coach. You just can't depend on, you can't have somebody to be there and hold your hand and walk with you all week long. But <laughs> there's this, Holy Bible, and uh, you got to be a Bible digger. But I'm trying to say that uh, take some responsibility. Develop a plan. Know that you want to live a long time and you want to go far into the future as not just a disciple who's a casual believer, but you want to be productive and you want to be fruitful. You're going to have to develop some ways 
something that you can do today that's going to help you later. And it has to do with sowing and reaping, okay? All right. Okay, and um, conquer your giants, number eight. Conquer your giants. Don't drag them into your senior years. You know what your giants are in the context of Scripture? You know what book I'm thinking about? Joshua. Uh, remember that uh, statement that God kept making to the leaders in that day? Only be strong and what? Very courageous, right? So those people uh, were directed by God to go into the promised land and to conquer their giants, and uh, they were told to be strong and courageous. You and I want to be conquerors and have a conquering spirit, but we're not warring against flesh and blood, and we're not trying to go slay a people. But when God said be strong, it's because they had weaknesses, and when he said be courageous, it's because they were timid. Your giants today, I suggest this to you, your giants today are your fears and your weaknesses. You can name them for yourself, and if you're getting older and you haven't conquered them yet, um, you might want to go back and read Joshua where uh, the Lord went back to them after so many years and reminded Joshua and Caleb, he said, look, guys, I told you to drive out all the inhabitants of the land. You, you did it, but not really. You did not drive them out completely. They st still dwell among you. And God gave them a wake-up call and said, go back and drive out the giants. And he, he's saying that to old men. That's when Caleb got riled up and said, give me this mountain. You know, who knows if God, there's, a, there's an attitude in scripture that I love. When the king, um, was it Nebuchadnezzar that wanted to throw the Hebrew boys into the fire? And they were in the lion's den. And uh, remember, the king threatened them and said, um, you realize that I have the authority to throw you in this fire, and you can't survive the fire. He said, after all, what God is there who can deliver from this fire? And one of the boys spoke up and said, well, you know, king, um, our God is able to deliver us from the fire. But even if he doesn't, we won't bow down. And I love, love, love the attitude of a faithful servant who loves Jesus that is willing to say, I know my God is able, but even if he chooses not to and I don't understand, I still won't give in. I love, love, love that conquering spirit. And when I read, I always cry when I preach, so it doesn't bother me if it doesn't bother you. Um, when I read the book of Revelation and I read the letters to the seven churches, every one of those letters says, to him who conquers, I will give these things. And I always come away from them and say, God, I, I need to be a conqueror. Help me to conquer my giants. And it takes that spirit of Caleb or of the Hebrew man who said, even if he doesn't. There, there's fire in that attitude. And when we get old, older like I am today, it's harder to keep that fire going. But I want to say today, church, just hold on. It's just a little bit longer. This lifetime that we have is just a drop in the bucket of eternity, amen? It's not that long. It seems like a lifetime because it is, but it's not forever. We need to encourage one another. We need to lock arms. We need to support each other. We need to help each other as a church family go the distance and to be encouraged. Amen? Number nine, don't believe the lies. You are not who the devil says you are. You ever hear voices in your head telling you negative messages? I used to sit here at a, as a 20-year-old man, right where some of you are sitting here, and uh, I would hear this message in my head, it had to be the devil, and the message was, you're a has-been, you're all washed up, you're never going to amount to anything. Who says that to a five-year-old Christian in the faith? That I'm, Are you kidding me? That's something you say to old people. You don't say uh, to uh, an on-fire Christian five years in the faith, you're all washed up, you're a has-been, you're never going to amount to anything. I used to hear that. Years later, in probably 20, whenever the real estate market crashed and we had that big economical crisis uh, several years ago, I had to, in addition to working full-time as a pastor in the church, I went to my board. I said, we're going to uh, cut my salary a little bit. So I took a dip in salary, and I went to work at Home Depot for four years, a total of four years at different times. So working at Home Depot, you know how they have those big orange letters, H-O-M-E, out on the front of the building, Home Depot, right? I used to drive to work 
uh, in the morning. We started at like 4.30 or 5 o'clock, so I'd be driving to work. And it was, the voice in my head was as if somebody was sitting beside me telling me the same thing that I heard 30 years before. You're all washed up. You're a has-been. You'll never amount to anything. And I just felt like such, well, I'll tell you what I felt like. When I got to work and I pulled into the parking lot and I saw those uh, lit up lights that said Home Depot, in my brain, it was like it said, failure. Can you imagine how relentless the enemy can be decade after decade after decade trying to turn the screws on a Christian who wants to do good things for God in this world, but he wants to wear them out. And he... And here's the thing. If you're a born-again believer today, Satan already knows he's lost you and he can't do anything about the fact that you're going to heaven. What he can do is make you a miserable Christian or unhappy or unfulfilled or tired or all of those things that we're talking about this morning so that you don't win anybody because your walk is not attractive and nobody wants to be like you. Okay? So just saying, you know, it's, it's, it's the strategy of a military uh, person that the devil is who wants to depopulate heaven and populate hell. So he lost me, and he can't ever get me back. But think of all the people I could win that would be attracted to Christ if, <laughs> you know, if the devil wasn't just fighting me day in and day out and trying to hold me back. And I say, uh, be encouraged this morning. Uh, let me just, if I, if I could just blow some wind in your sails, you are not a has-been. You are not washed up. Amen. I see a lot of potential in this room. And some of you people who are in my age group, you have more to offer than a lot of young people. You know why? Because you've been around the block. You already know what's going on. And you have wisdom. And I want to encourage you this morning to begin to impart your wisdom. Some of you old friends of mine that are in my age group, be confident in the things that God has taught you over the years and begin to use the knowledge and the wisdom and experience that you have to help somebody else. You be the old person in the church that the young people look at and say, you know, when I get old, I want to be just like that guy. How does he do it? Do you hear me today? Number 10, take advantage of renewal. When we get older, we get tired of the fight. Look, I'm just being real here, okay? There's a lot of things in your life that are a fight. And, and if we'd be honest, we get tired, you know. It's one thing to fight a battle for five years, ten years. It's a whole other thing when you've been fighting the same battle for 40 years, right? You just get tired of fighting a fight. But let's be careful. Because the defeat of the church could come if we all together get tired of fighting and so we stop fighting the fight. That would be really bad. And I never want to see that happen to the church of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we just feel worn out. We need to take care that we don't spend our later years sidelined because we tired out. We have to learn strategies to serve others using our mind and our mouth more than our hands and our feet. Hey, if you're in a wheelchair and you can't do the things you used to do, God's not finished with you yet because from your wheelchair, you can reach people around the world. There are creative ways to do that, but you need to believe that God is not finished with you yet, and you need to resist that lie in your head that says, no, that's it. You can't even be forgiven for all the things you've done. There's no more grace left for you. Don't listen to that. Some of you could write a book. Some of you should write a book, and I am serious this morning. I want to write a book, and I haven't got that far yet, but some of you that have your wisdom and you can't go places and you can't do what you used to do and you don't have, you could still write a book. My mother should have written a book. Put your experiences down. Put down your wisdom. Publish articles. Go online. Find a way. Self-publishing. It's not rocket science. Get some help. Partner with somebody. Write a book. I can't think of a better gift to leave the next generation than recording your experience and your wisdom so those after you can have a more successful faith journey. And I want to say that renewal is very much available to the believer as needed. We just have to uh, rediscover what Jesus called the river of life. 
He didn't move. Sometimes we do, right? He's still there. Number 11, two more. Stay with me. Choose joy. Choose joy. Here's a quote that's familiar to you. It's not an accurate quote, but you've heard it before. It goes something like this. Who you are is not so much the sum of your experiences as much as your reaction to the things that have happened to you, right? Well, your reaction is your choice. Some of the things that happen to you is not your choice because we've all had things happen to us that we would not have chosen and, you know, it is what it is and life happens and you can't do a whole lot about some of the things that come your way. It just is. But you can choose how you will react to them. I mean, I could very easily be a miserable person by now. I mean, come on. <laughs> I could be so miserable that I would never be in another pulpit because nobody would want to look at me or listen to a thing I say. I could be cynical. I could be nasty. I could be negative. But I don't have to be. I choose not to be. When the devil fights me, uh, unfortunately for him, I tend to get stubborn. And when he pushes against me, I tend to push back because that's what I think I should do because I'm afraid that if I don't do that, the problem I'm going to have is I'm going to go to my grave without fulfilling the call of God on my life. Be stubborn with the devil. Uh, the Bible says that if you, what, resist him, he'll flee from you. The devil does, um, I'm going to tell you a secret right here. The devil pushes against everybody. Those that don't know Jesus and don't have the Spirit of God don't push back necessarily. If you're a sinner by nature and you've never been converted and the devil tempts you, the natural thing is to give in to the temptation. And what's the big deal anyway? Because if you don't have a moral compass, you get drunk, you have you know extramarital sex, you do whatever, whatever. You cheat, you lie, you st whatever. What's the point of being moral if you don't know Jesus? The devil... Uh, throws temptations in front of man in every generation and they just trip and fall and he just laughs. But that's his plan because he knows it's going to work. When he does that to a believer and the person push, pushes back, what scares him about that is because the only explanation that anybody in this world would push back against temptation is because they know God and they love God and the spirit of God is within them. And that scares him like kryptonite scares Superman. You follow me? When he sees that resistance, he goes, oh, my God. I'm just now, I'm messing with a, a believer. And my sound just came in. I think God is talking to me. But um, so resistance, uh, use that to your advantage. I, I dig my heels in. Um, by way of confession, um, there was a time when I was tempted to uh, want to quit my marriage. You know, I mean, we've been married 33 years and we're happy, but that day came one day when I was tempted to quit my marriage. And thank God I recognized it for what it was, temptation. And I said, oh, I know who that's from. And so I just dug my heels in and I just got stubborn. I just got rooted like this and I just pushed back. I'm not doing what you want. And I stayed. And I'm so glad I did and I hope my wife is too. <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> to rejoice is a choice. I choose joy. Jesus said I can be happy. It's my right as a believer. It's a challenge. He said that my, the, the fullness, I can't even quote it correctly, the fullness of my joy could be in you, right? And so I'm entitled to full joy, but we hardly ever experience that. But as long as, that's my right, I'm going to get as much as I can, and I choose that as my reaction. I don't understand everything that God does. I don't always know where he is or what he's doing or why, but I just, I just have this dogged determination that God is true and in him is no injustice, and I believe that our God is never at fault for anything, and it doesn't mean that I have to understand everything about him. It's I choose to follow him to my grave. Okay, and the last one, I don't even need to say this, especially since we already touched on it, but I'm going to put it on a list because on a list of things like this, we should probably say this, but maintain the habit of daily Bible reading, okay? When you read the Bible, <coughs> this, book, the, the, this book has uh, 
the supernatural uh, living power to it. There's something different about this book that's different about any other book. I mean, the words in this book contain life. There is a supernatural power behind these words. When you expose yourself to the pages of this book, you are subjecting yourself to a possible transformation into the glory of God. Um, this book will keep your perspective aligned with truth and eternity. We need the adjustment to our perspective so that we don't lose our bearings. Life gets very difficult sometimes. Did you ever see that bumper sticker that says, life is hard, then you die? You know what the Christian version of that is? It's not life is bliss, then you live. The Christian version is life is hard, then you live forever. Okay? Life's just hard. Um, but daily Bible reading to keep your perspective so that you don't go crazy. Because we could go insane. So, in conclusion, how do we stay fruitful? You have to approach your commitment to Christ as something that will stand the test of time. Um, you should strengthen your commitment while you can. Uh, put down roots in Christ. Put in place habits that will keep you strong. Be a lifer. And wh what, I'm, what I'm asking you to consider is that you just look at the years more than your past. Look at the years that you have in front of you and make some decisions today that will help you later. When I was a young man, I used to try to decide, I used to, I used to think about this. I used to try to envision what kind of an old person do I want to be? How do I want to be as an old person? I used to think about this when I was 20. And I used to wonder, well, how am I going to do that? And I, what I did was I let that mindset influence my commitments and my decisions so that, uh, for example, I'll give you one of my secrets right here. <laughs> this has been one of my secrets. Uh, from the day I met Jesus, I have always attended church. I have never taken a vacation from church attendance, and I always serve in some capacity. I went to church whether I felt like it or not. Did you ever wake up on a Sunday morning and not feel like going to church? Don't raise your hand. But does that ever happen to anybody on a Sunday morning? You, you didn't feel like going to church? I always went anyway. I never stayed home when I didn't feel like going. I mean, I don't want anybody to hear this, but I argue with my wife on Sunday morning sometimes. I still go to church. I got a carnal past. I need to be in church. Listen, let me tell you something. Let me explain something. I have a testimony, and I can encourage you with my testimony, but there's a lot of testimonies here this morning. See, when I come to church and I'm with family, I come in with a measure of joy based on my experience. But my, my joy in church is multiplied this many times. What I mean is your victory is my victory. I laugh at the devil. This is one of the most amusing things to me in all of life. The devil tries so hard. He pushes and he pushes and he pushes and he fights and he fights like anything, like a lion, right, seeking to destroy. And he does it over generations, decades. And look, you're still here. And I say, devil, you know what? You are such a miserable failure. Really, I look at the devil and I say, what a miserable failure you are. You've been fighting me for 40 some odd years and you've been fighting all these people and guess what? You're still here. I love that. I know your life is hard. Hey, my life's hard too. We could talk about that. But we're making it. And if you and I can't make it on this planet as believers in Christ, then nobody can. And I'm saying if we're supposed to be the people with the answers, we better be showing the world how it's done. Because this is how we roll in the church. And I always say, we're Christians, we're not wimps. Amen? The Caleb spirit. Conquering the giants. Staying fruitful in later years. Yes, God. Yes, God. So, set goals for growth. Form strategies to achieve these things. The challenge is that physical goals are tangible, measurable, definable. Spiritual goals are a whole different thing. But spiritual goals are important. I guess that means my time's up. That was probably my wife. <laughs>
Spiritual goals are more difficult, and most Christians don't consciously pursue definite spiritual goals. We're Americans. We're North Americans. We are very good at, um, we are preoccupied with looking good and feeling good. In America, we have what's called the American dream. Uh, We worship the gods of comfort and convenience, in my opinion. Um, We pursue our careers. Uh, We go to the gym. You name it. I mean, you know, we are Americans. We, We plan. We just, we just love being busy and and accomplishing things, and we feel good about ourselves. But my burden, and as a pastor, I say this, that the inner man is so neglected sometimes. And there's something wrong with the imbalance of giving so much attention and so much um, due diligence to external things. What, and not reading the Bible and praying every day? I mean, I know it's simple stuff. But you got an inner man and an outer man, and Paul said the outer man's decaying and the inner man's being renewed day by day. But he ain't being renewed if you ain't reading your Bible and praying. It's not happening. Is this helping anybody? Okay. All right. <clears throat> Some enemies to your spiritual success are distraction, lack of focus and apathy, and we just need to help each other and remind each other. So I'm going to close. If you're an older person today, my message to you is it's never too late to believe God can use you. It's never too late to offer yourself afresh to him. If you're a younger person, my question to you is what kind of old person do you want to become, and how do you plan to continue bearing fruit for God in your later years. You need to be thinking about that before you get there so that when you get there, you don't go, oh, it's too late. I can't go back and redo it. See, that's the problem with this whole life, right? You don't get to come back and do it again. I was always challenged as a young man. I would stand out here on Valencia Street and go to that bus stop over there where the little bus shelter is, and I would talk to old people on purpose because I, was always, I had older parents. I was always fascinated by life stories, and so I'd always engage in conversation with strangers who were old people. And you see the wrinkles, and you see the red eyes, and you see the gray hairs and stuff, and, but more than that, you see the disappointments. In the re- and you, I would always hear them say, you know, if I could go back and do it all again, I'd sure do things differently. And as a young man, I would walk away from a conversation like that, and I would just say, God, does it have to be that way? Or can we just get it right the first time? Do all of us have to graduate to old age and always regret it and wish we could do things differently? Well, I I might only be partway there, but I can testify that when I turned 50 and I looked back, I didn't feel like I had all the achievements that I maybe anticipated and I hadn't done everything that I wanted to do. But at least I can say that at halftime, when I was 50, I was satisfied with how I had conducted myself so far and how I had based my decisions and the choices that I had made. And I felt good about what I had done and who I I was. And now it's 10 years later, and I just know that I need to keep this going. I need to keep some wind in my sails, and I need to keep bearing fruit, amen? because I'm still abiding in him. Okay, Uh, we're going to close in prayer. And um, right now, let me just go ahead and invite the prayer partners up here. And then I want to ask you um, if something I've said today just really uh, maybe triggered something in you or was what you needed to hear. or Maybe maybe I said something that you hadn't really thought of, and now you're concerned. That's a good thing. I'd like you to join uh, one of the prayer partners after my prayer and and just come up and and get prayer for that. Um, God is not dead. And he's not old. I mean, well, we could say God is old, but God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same God today as he was way back then. Sometimes we just need renewal and revival in our lives. And you just, you just want to feel God breathe on you again, amen? And kind of jumpstart, restart uh, your future. So I'm going to ask the prayer partners, if you would just go ahead and stand right up here uh, facing the audience. And then uh, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And when I finish, if you would just come up and uh, pray with one of these. And don't be afraid to say, God, you know, I've blown it. I've 
the sideline. Um, whatever you need to say to him, I'm, I'm not your judge. I don't know what your situation is. I just know the difficulties that come our way as people of faith, and we're not exempt or immune from some of the same trials that non-believers get, but we're supposed to have the answers. So take advantage today of the renewal that's available and of the support that you have in the church, okay? Uh, at that point, why don't you just stand with me, and uh, we'll pray together. I often like to ask my audiences to join hands. If you have somebody near you, if you could just um, grab a hand uh, to the left and right of you, if that's possible, just as kind of a <coughs> token of our familyhood. Thank you so much for having me today and for letting me take the time. I probably went on a little long. Um, I hope that you uh, have some takeaways for, from this message today. Let's pray. God, be glorified in our future. Lord, I think about our past and uh, the challenge of the past becoming uh, large and controlling sometimes. We pray against that today, Lord, that the, the effect wouldn't be so negative. We, we pray against the success of the enemy that would want to take advantage of our past. And I would just encourage the church today to lay your past at Jesus' feet and to lead him for a bright future.